And we're back with the news and notes. Uh, Partha, what are we talking about today? We're talking about Elon Musk's Twitter. We're talking about the NBA playoffs. We're talking about uh, wealth disparity. And, uh, you know, maybe maybe a little bit of, of a boxing match coming up. Um, we will dive into that in a moment. Please put your trade tables up. Put your seatbelts on. The pilot boys are getting ready to take off. Welcome to the Pilot Boys Podcast, where you'll get the real on all things sports, music, and pop culture. And here are your hosts, Vishwant and Partha. So we're, we're going to start today talking about uh, the man that more people talk about, the only person more people talk about more often is talked about than Kanye West, Elon Musk. It seems like he's in the headlines uh, <laughs> just as much as our boy Kanye. Um, yeah. Most recently with this, this Twitter fiasco, which started out with him taking a significant stake in the company and now um, looking or claiming that he is going to spend uh, quite a bit of his 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 net worth uh, to buy the company. Um, what do you make of all of this, uh, Partha? I like it. You know, I'm a, I'm a fan of whenever there's new perspectives that are coming to light that shake up the market and cause people to question things. It's it's fun, I think, because Twitter is one of those platforms that I think uh, most people feel like Twitter tends to be a bit. Um, you know, polarized in terms of the perspectives that they lean into. I think, you know, people feel a lot of ways about social media in general. I, I saw, you know, a lot of different uh, perspectives on Elon buying Twitter and, you know, free speech, et cetera. And ultimately, you know, I think it's nice when you have a billionaire who's like a populist billionaire in Elon versus like an elitist billionaire, like a Bezos, for example, or most of the folks we don't know because their incentives and the way that they they're driving is more to disrupt society and i i'm always a fan of somebody doing something to disrupt society yeah i mean here's what it comes down to is <laughs> one i think sometimes these things are done and what media and social media has allowed is to create opportunities um to create noise around your name or whatever your uh, trying to achieve. I, I have my doubts on whether he's actually serious about buying this company, um, specifically at the valuation he's saying he wants to buy it at. Um, more than anything, I think it's his way of taking a stand and using his power and weight of his influences um, to express his opinion, right? And that's what this seems to be more than anything uh, to me, but it, it does bring to light, um, you know, it does bring to light um, some some interesting ideas and concepts through the Elon dialogue that are important, right? Because Jack Dorsey, the founder of Twitter, also came out and was, you know, didn't seem like they were coordinated attacks, but they both attacked the board um, of yeah. Twitter, um, specifically saying that they, they've lost touch and then also they are not vested enough or invested enough into the company to matter. Um, and to be meaningful and also how they've kind of hamstrung the company um, and haven't acted in the best interest. And that topic itself brings up an interesting conversation about the role of boards in, in corporations and, and how we actually measure their value um, and their efficacy 
Um, and I think that that's a good conversation that I think has come out of this. Yeah, I agree completely. I think it's an interesting scenario as well because the uh, the financial backers typically reside on the board, right? And yeah, I think there's often a difference between who can write the biggest check versus who has the best perspective on the business. And sometimes there's a line like you need representation for the folks who are putting their money at stake. Um, but at the same time, when you know, I think in the case of Twitter, you have a situation where you essentially find gridlock. It it turns into something much like what we see in politics, where everyone has their own incentives, everyone's driving a certain way. And, you know, the first thing about being on a board is that you have to take your personal biases aside and do what's best for the company. Um, and sometimes it's not best for the biggest shareholder or for their other investments or for the other things they want to do or even for their social circles, you know, if they're getting bugged at the country club about what's happening on Twitter, they're going to take down some of the tweets they, that they don't want to deal with. You know what I mean? So it's yep. like you have like a lot of things that I, I think people wouldn't expect that uh, are super simple, men menial things that actually do find their way to be represented in board conversations and decisions, even at the highest level. And I think that's kind of where it's kind of like a human failing, but that's where we all struggle, I think, when it comes to um, any sort of larger corporation is that we fail to recognize like the human element that's going on. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we set up all these these structures to try to eliminate bias and to 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 create equity and fairness. But in a lot of what you're pointing out is important. At the end of the day, there's these checks are usually always executed by people, and people can be influenced. People can be um, can can have personal personal opinions or biases um, impact their work. So the, the, the question is, is there a really a, a unbiased way to create like the spirit of what a board is supposed to represent? In actuality, is that even possible? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a great question. You know, we as, as humans can strive to a certain extent of fairness. And, you know, I, I think like a perspective in terms of how we make decisions that we're making decisions for everybody. But um, ultimately, I think what you find is that everybody's kind of the same. And so nobody's really, uh, this might be debatable, but nobody's more qualified per se to make decisions at the corporate level. Um, I think earlier stage, there's a lot more nuance to getting a business going. Uh, yeah. But I do think that when something becomes so large that it's a, population affecting um, thing, then you have to really rethink the way that governance is happening. I think that's an area where crypto has done a really great job in their corporate structures and governance because it's really just based on how many tokens you own within an ecosystem and kind of a collaborative approach um, of many of the token holders to dictate what happens to the platform. And um, it's unique with Twitter because there's so many users on it. Same with any sort of social media site. But I think what we see is that it's more the traditional media that wants to have control over Twitter, whereas it truly is a pretty unbridled beast of people being able to express themselves and really like reach out and interact with anybody. It takes away all the barriers between one person and another. And I think it's, uh, you know, it's a very powerful tool if it's used in the right way. Yeah, it can be. Um, it can be, but uh, you know, I have my criticisms of you know just 
I do think there needs to be some filters on on certain types of speech because um, they do influence and impact and, and lead to lead to some catastrophic issues um, at times. And I do think there is a degradation overall, you know, not saying that freedom, you know, I don't know what the solve is, right? Because I am a proponent of free speech, but I think through these social media platforms, what has happened is it's become easier to organize very disruptive and harmful viewpoints and positions and create kind of like groupthink around those type of positions that it was much more difficult, much more kind of under the radar, under the scenes. But when you can type from behind a keyboard and you don't have the accountability of seeing someone face to face, it opens up the worst part of human beings, which is, yeah, I can say whatever I want. It's harder to do that when you're speaking publicly or you're speaking to a person face to face versus hiding behind a keyboard or a bot sending out these messages that are just inflaming society and creating quite frankly the type of division that we have in america i think can be attributed significantly to the rise of these kind of social media platforms where dialogue happens like this yeah i think that's the uh that's the nuance in the whole situation is that there should be kind of a bar in terms of you know what's okay right and i think we have that in general like the the argument is we want to allow alternate viewpoints you know i think that's a very strong argument there should be alternate yeah. viewpoints but uh viewpoints should be voiced without personally attacking others and i think once you're personally attacking somebody else for their viewpoint you're not debating anymore and yeah. there is a line there i think it's it's a line that we all have to monitor ourselves with because you know my view on this is if it's not twitter it's going to be something else it's going to yeah. shift to a different platform so i i feel like the issue is more with people than it is with platforms. And I think that's where a lot of people don't want to hear that truth because they don't want to admit that they're reactionary as well, that they take personal attacks as well. And it's like, we all, we all have this issue. You know, we're all connected into this thing. I mean, at the end of the day, that's, that's how these people make money. They, they know that about human beings and our psychology and that we're easily triggered. And if people don't get triggered, then these platforms wouldn't be as successful. You wouldn't see the the growth of these platforms and they wouldn't, exist without the controversy and without the worst parts of human psychology right which which draws a lot of this you know there's 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 a lot but social media is completely driven by psychological algorithms and as you to your point the truth is that it's a human problem not necessarily a platform problem but the platform does serve as kind of a blow a bullhorn um for some of these some of these issues that may be better controlled without that bullhorn 100 percent I'll say the the thing that I think is really valuable about social media in general is that it it creates too many inputs in terms of information for it to be controlled. And so when you look at, you know, what what I think during my childhood would have been considered tremendous, you know, it, tremendously in the conspiracy theory, you know, category, a lot of those things have come out as truths in our society. A lot of the um, I'll give you a great example. The lab leak theory around covid that it came from a china lab there was a point if you put that up on twitter and you were a notable person you would get kicked off and there were many folks who did and now as time has elapsed that narrative has come back around and so it's interesting that they're in a state where if the view doesn't align with the narrative that they want to focus on um they're trying to get that view out but at the same time if i look at say tiktok if i look at um, probably primarily TikTok, to be honest, and Reddit to an extent. 
you do have the expression of those views and it's TikTok, I think, is closer to Twitter in terms of like the level of memeing that's happening and, and how people respond. Um, but it's, I just think it's interesting when you have these tools that allow so many different perspectives to get out there. All of our views do make up the world that we live in. And so when all these voices are being heard, it, it does create actual events and actual outcomes that, um, you know, we, we haven't necessarily understood about the world. And yeah. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. Agree with you there. And platform for free speech is great. I guess one of my things that probably I think could be part part of the solve, right, is this idea of you know gathering data on people and then dictating what they see and what they don't see. Which a lot of these platforms versus it just being an objective medium where it is unfiltered. In a lot of these social media platforms it is filtered they are targeting people specifically based on the data that they gather about them which again opens up the whole privacy it's a, it's another can of worms that we we don't necessarily need to get into in this news and notes topic but it is a it's it's just an interesting space where yes you know there are great things just like anything there are great things about social media great things that it's done for society but there's also a lot of harmful significantly harmful effects that it's created as well yeah and you know the the thing that's interesting is that it's like the the argument for um, being able to dictate what's on the platform is the pulling the fire alarm in the movie theater argument or shouting fire in yeah. the movie. Theater. It's that if your words cause you know um, harmful effects to society or to somebody yeah. else, then you you can actually be uh, that that it's a crime. You know your words yeah. are actually really really valuable. Um, I wish that social media would let the courts dictate that and maybe that would lead to a more tumultuous world in the short term but i think it would take the conversation where it needs to be which is in the hands of uh, expert judges instead of a few folks who are running the board of twitter it's it's you, you bring up an interesting point right like it's funny a lot of people criticize like um Singapore, for example, you know, like their laws are extremely strict when it comes to certain things. Like if you litter, you're going to jail, you know, um, if you do drugs, they're caught with drugs, uh, you're punishable by death. Right. Yeah. Um, these things sometimes though, it's like, it would be nice, not saying that it needs to go that extreme, but for people to know, that once once like as you said it becomes a threat or it could potentially lead to harm to other people your words can actually lead to the harm of other people that there should be some like strict punishment that, that people are aware of so that it at least is a check on that aspect of it because i do think that because it's behind a keyboard and there's no real direct face-to-face -face connectivity it makes it a lot easier to say harmful things and incite harmful reactions from people um that i think goes very unchecked yeah and you know what i think would be the uh the way to actually prevent a lot of this it's actually the opposite of what most people say i think you should remove the delete feature if you take away the delete feature every word you write is permanent and yeah. it just creates a different especially if you can be held liable for those words which we know you can be if you're you know tweeting and advocating for something extremely negative and that negative thing happens and it turns out you were a big part in making that thing happen, you will be held liable for that. Yeah. You know, yeah. and I think that 
it just creates a different level of standard for the words that you put on a public forum. And I think that's like, that's the element of this discourse that I think is valuable is that we do have these public forums for conversation and they come from, you know, public forums are, are very Greek in their nature. I think every culture has had them, but that's where democracy started. And the idea is that you are supposed to have these conversations. You just have to have them in a civil way that shows love for your fellow humans. Yeah. And there's nothing like stating your opinion to someone's face versus um, somewhere else. Yes, exactly. Don't say anything that you wouldn't, you know, that's a, that's a, that's a helpful check for human beings. Don't say anything on social media that you would be scared to say to someone's face. Yeah. Or on email or on text or on the phone, you know? Yep. Yep. Yeah. So uh, moving forward, we got a pretty awesome playoffs so far. This has been probably one of the best playoffs, at least for me in the, in the first round, because it's been so unpredictable. Um, let's start with the Timberwolves and the Grizzlies. I was really, really impressed with the Timberwolves. Obviously, they got you know a little, little bit memed for celebrating their win in the play-in tournament, like they won a championship. But uh, I like the energy that's happening over there. They have a great culture, and um, you know they might have a shot to take down uh, Memphis, who I think has been an excellent team all year, but. We've also seen that they don't really have that standout star. And and in our experience, I think watching the NBA for the last 15 years, you kind of do need that person to win a championship. Yeah, I mean, starting with the Timberwolves, I mean, it's really good. to If you you follow the NBA and you're familiar with the NBA for the last 20, 30 years, there's no organization outside of maybe the Clippers who've been through more shit than the Minnesota Timberwolves, right? And – Talking about dysfunction, the, the the you know most the Jimmy Butler fiasco, you know the Kevin Garnett fiasco, like it's been trouble, nothing but trouble in paradise over there. Um, but it seems like they've finally gotten some things together. I mean, they've got three real stars, four yeah. if you count Malik Malik Beasley, who's a twenty point per game scorer, um, capable of that, in D'Angelo Russell. Um, Carl Anthony Towns and um, and Anthony Edwards. And I think what Anthony Edwards has brought to the table that they needed was leadership and attitude, a, a arrogance, a chip on his shoulder, um, just a genuine love for the game. He reminds me a little bit of, of a young Steph Curry in terms of his attitude um, toward the game. He's a little bit funnier, a little bit cooler overall, yeah. but um, I think – these guys, I think that energy is, has permeated throughout that locker room. And then you add a guy like Pat Beverly as well, who gives you attitude. Um, and as he's proudly stated, he's never missed the playoffs in any year that he's played. So um, it, this is a difficult, this is like this first round matchup is the most exciting first round matchup also, because, you know, we can keep talking about the Timberwolves, but on the other side, the Grizzlies are built the exact same way, and that's what makes this beautiful. Like you saw John Morant um, post yesterday the uh, the famous part from, uh, from from the last dance where after Charlotte won a game, Michael Jordan is holding the bat. It's like it's just one game. It's just one game, and they came back and beat them like 4-1. <laughs> so that, that type of energy back and forth is what I think the NBA has sorely missed, and it's good to see it from these young teams. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I think that the Timberwolves-Grizzlies uh, series is specifically some of the better basketball that I'm watching. 
these days. And to your point, Timberwolves are, they have some pretty scary potential. And yeah. we're seeing them peak at the right time. Yeah. Yeah. It's, they're, they're a nightmare if they put it all together. Yeah. They really are. And they have the potential, especially you, you called it on Anthony Edwards. He is a star. He is a yeah. bona fide superstar in this league. And him with Carlton Towns, with D'Angelo Russell, who knows how to make those those clutch shots, Pat Bev, who makes that defensive tone, you know, that intense and, you know, makes the team more physical, makes them more energetic. I mean, it's a it's an incredible thing that they're doing right now. And I, I think, you know, you can't give them enough credit for especially to your point, what they've been through to be able to get to this place mentally is a very challenging thing. Yep. Yep. Good to see. Um, we also have the uh, Warriors and Nuggets going on. You know, this series I was hoping would be a little bit more interesting, but uh, we we don't have the Nuggets at full strength, which is a bit of a bummer because uh, they are a very, very good team. The Warriors all season have been just really, really great. There was a big period of time where Steph was injured, um, where they kind of dropped out of the, if, if I remember right, I believe they were the one seed at the beginning of the year and, it was looking very clear that they were one of the best teams in the NBA. Um, the way that they play basketball, man, it's like the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. Like the way the ball moves, then nobody's touching it for really more than a second, if that, you know. And uh, Clay coming back, being a, at full strength, shows you how great their medical staff is. They treated that recovery the right way. They took the right amount of time, got him back in season, back in full, full form, just in time for the playoffs. It just pretty excellent and then obviously we're seeing Jordan Poole um, you know the young one step up here at the Warriors and show that he's on that same level he's really turning into a, another star for them yeah it was so funny to see how angry he was that Steph shot the technical and he didn't <laughs> um, that type of internal competition is great but this is the best organization in basketball you know I said it and nobody wants to you know People are probably don't like rooting for the Warriors because they've won so much. But I said at the start of the season, you know, when people were talking about the Lakers and the Nets, I was like, the Warriors, if they're healthy, they're going to win it all. If you look at the team that they have constructed, not only in terms of like their superstars that have been there and won, but the development of their young stars, their head coach, their front office, the way that the players interact and treat each other it's clear that they have a culture there that like the, the Patriots have the Patriots way. There's clearly a warrior's way that all of these guys buy into. And um, it's healthy. You know, you can tell, you can see when you watch Jordan Poole's game that he's been helped by Steph, that he's been helped by clay. You know, you see a player like Draymond who does everything, um, everything that is asked of him and nothing that brings him glory. You know what I mean? And, um, it's just it's just a well constructed. Then you have Andrew Wiggins coming in from a situation where people had written him off and said, "Oh, he's never going to reach his potential." He comes to Golden State and now he's tapping into his potential, happily playing the role that he's asked to play, which is not the primary scorer, or primary ball handler. So you just look at this team in full and you say, "This is the way the game of basketball is supposed to be played. This is what a team looks like. This is what an organization looks like." and you know, if you're not rooting for them, I understand um, it's but just understand that it's hate. You know, it's a disdain for basketball if you don't like the Golden State Warriors. 
Yeah, and of, of all the teams in the NBA, they play the best basketball. I think it's pretty undebatable in terms of watching them play versus anybody else. Yeah, yeah, they do. And, yeah. they, and, and they're good defensively, too. That's the thing. Yeah. You, you see all the highlights, but you don't see how good they're, they're playing or how well they're playing on defense as well. Another team excellent at defense is the Celtics, who have caused a lot of trouble for people, especially in the back half of the season, with a defensive scheme that they've been running that a lot of teams are really, really struggling to crack. Um, we saw them beat the Nets. Obviously, a lot of bad blood there with uh, Kyrie and the Boston fans. Uh, a lot of trash talk going on, a lot of commentary afterward about uh, Kyrie's reaction to it. Keep in mind the man is fasting as well, so he's a little cranky, probably a little hangry during these games. Uh, <laughs> but it, it was an amazing game uh, right down to the last shot. Celtics took it. It's an amazing series to watch. Um, I didn't have the Celtics really going that far. I thought they were going to get knocked out in the first round by the Knicks. Yeah. Uh, but the way that they're stepping up, it's a different level of confidence that uh, you're seeing from that team than than we've had in past years. Yeah, this series is going to go seven, and you got to give some credit to um, to this entire team for figuring it out. Um, specifically, you know, Marcus Smart has gotten a lot of a lot of hate in terms of whether or not they should have traded him, let him go, but he's clearly the glue of that team. Um, he's one defensive player of the year, well-deserved. Then you have a, a bona fide superstar in Jason Tatum, who's pretty much unstoppable. Um, and then you also have, you know, the rest of the pieces on that team um, kind of figuring it out as the season went on. Um, with that said, though, I mean, look, this Brooklyn team is extremely dangerous. It took a last-second miracle play that get this this series is going seven games as much credit as we want to give the celtics we can't underscore underestimate the brilliance of kyrie irving and and kevin durant regardless of how kyrie you know and and i do want to say something about the fans there's this this narrative that i think needs to be corrected in sports culture that the players should be held to a higher degree of accountability than the fans as human beings, there are certain things that you should and shouldn't say to to another human being. And because you're a fan, you are protected in ways that you wouldn't be protected in the street or in, in a regular everyday life. Um, this whole idea that, oh, you, you have to be bigger than the fans, you know, I don't know if I agree with that. There's things that are said. Um, by these fans are just completely unacceptable. I have a little bit of a degree of self-control and the maturity now of being older, but if I was 21 dealing with this stuff or 22 or under 30 dealing with this stuff, I might manage it differently. And so I do think that these leagues need to really crack down on what's acceptable and not acceptable from a fan, fan behavior perspective. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's a general kind of human thing that we all kind of have to self-monitor. Moving on, I want to shout out the 76ers. I did not believe in them going into the playoffs. They are just stomping the Raptors. Yeah, the Raptors Raptors are overmatched here, and specifically this is a great situation for James Harden because Tyrese Maxey is playing like James Harden, so James Harden doesn't have to. Um, But the entire team is stepping up, right? Like Embiid is Embiid. Um, it seems like there's a, a certain degree of intensity, but again, this is, we will know more when we see 
if they can get past the Eastern Conference Finals and get to the finals. That's the only measuring stick for a team that's stacked like this. Um, and we will see what happens in the in the in the following rounds. But right now they're looking very elite. Um, and Miami is looking extremely elite. Yes. You know, you Miami is a team that we saw all season was performing at a really, really high level and not getting the credit they deserved for it. And I think um, playoff-wise, they're a team that we know knows how to lock in. They've got Jimmy Butler, obviously, Bam Adebayo. They have Tyler Harrow, who's just a silent killer. Um, really, really great culture down there. And, and playing a Hawks team that's that with with Trey Young and his attitude is not an easy, easy matchup, but they made it look easy. Um, Phoenix as well. Let's let, that's the remaining team. Um, that we haven't talked about. I mean, Phoenix is being Phoenix. You know, you see the ageless wonder, Chris Paul coming in and and carrying the team, carrying the team to victory. That's kind of it's funny how they're the number one overall seed, but they're kind of flying under the radar now with all the attention going to everybody else right now. Yeah, it goes to show that you know I think when when you're a star, uh, we saw what happened with Russell Westbrook when he came to LA. Chris Paul made the right call and and staying with the mid to small market team where you're not getting as much of the spotlight. You're not getting eviscerated by the media um, as an aging player who's expected to play like they're you know, much younger than they are. Um, it just goes to show that longevity is also partially driven by narrative. Yep. 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 Well, um, on that note, we have, we have a couple more talking points. We have uh, a set that just came out from Forbes that 13% of the Forbes uh, billionaires who live in America or who are American citizens are actually immigrants um, from 35 different countries uh, and from every continent but Antarctica, obviously. Uh, but a, a pretty cool stat, and I think it just, uh, I, th- I believe 10% of Americans roughly are immigrants, something along those lines. Yep. Um, so it does, it does show that immigrants are outperforming by a little bit, but I think what's what's interesting is just it's a testament to the work ethic that um, that comes with that. Yeah, the most important stat that I saw is ninety two percent of them are self made, um, which is which is which is interesting. And you know we do have the benefit and oppor- of opportunity of coming here without being impacted by a lot of the issues that already exist here. So we have the opportunity to really pursue without some of the psychological kind of trauma that exists in any country that you weren't a part of but it's 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 an important stat and interesting stat should be inspirational for 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 young minorities that you know they're still despite all that the hell going on there is there's plenty of opportunity here to to become something absolutely and finally um a four belt boxing match is that right v between errol spence and terence crawford after um after a knockout a couple days back that that's now potentially about to happen (laughs) Yeah, this is this is going to be the biggest fight since Mayweather-Pacquiao, you know. So we've got to see. Finally, seems like it's going to come together. These are two of the best boxers um, of all time, and they've been waiting to fight each other. Um, and it looks like it's actually going to happen. So boxing has something dynamic coming up um, in the fall that, that that could really put the sport back on the map. Absolutely. Well, on that note, that's our news and notes. Uh, we have an interview with Phil Helmuth, the poker goat, that's also dropping this week. So make sure you tune in for that. Uh, one last week with Jeff Gross, also a professional poker player, both in our kind of lasso family and ecosystem. Wonderful people, really great interviews. There's so much to take away from it. So make sure you check that out. Um, 
outside of that, man, V, this is this is getting really fun as we're turning up the heat on these interviews, getting more guests in. I, I'm just so stoked about the kind of content we're making these days. Yeah, let's let's keep going. And you know, everybody that's out there, you know, keep keep on moving, stay moving toward your goals, toward your dreams. Um, and always remember to be you while you're doing so. He was fly. Pilot boys out. Pilot boys, we get on up.